I feel how momentous this day is to me because, uh, well, for a few reasons, but in seminary there was an unofficial poll taken and I was voted uh, most likely to leave the priesthood. <laughs> Probably not without uh, good reason. Uh, but I often find myself in front of the mystery of life and uh, personally, maybe as a character out of uh, Flannery O'Connor's uh, Wise Blood, we remember this novel where the, the protagonist is so dominated by the question of Christ, he can never avoid it, but he can never say yes to Christ either. So his whole thing is he's going to establish his own church called the Church of Jesus Christ without Jesus Christ, uh, which is funny enough, but, uh, but the way, the, way uh, the problem of life uh, continues to press on to me. Or like Walker Percy's uh, famous book, uh, Lost in the Cosmos that what a mystery I am to myself and what kind of creature I am and how strange it is to discover myself as being anything at all, that I did not uh, ask to be born, and yet here I am. And I think about some of my earliest memories, really my first memory being uh, waking up from a nap and looking outside the house and seeing my dad putting our uh, dog into the back of his uh, Jeep because it had been struck by a van, a speeding van, Obear. Remember our first Rottweiler? And the van was speeding because they were late for school. So school, I guess, uh, somehow is important. But I think, uh, well, what a mystery is life and then how life ends. And through my whole life, uh, considering how much it's impacted me, the fact that I have a little sister who passed away, uh, just two years younger than me, and just a day after, after she was born, and how often I think about her and how often I think about how different I would be growing up and how this has impacted uh, really everything about me. Because then I grew up with this big problem because here's this seemingly great gift that then is going to end. So then what's the point of this? And not being able to articulate this in uh, first grade, I remember just being totally torn away from when we moved from Loxahatchee back into town. And I remember looking back at the, the dust blowing off behind the van and thinking that, is life really good? Is life really good when it ends with loss? But again, at first grade, I, I didn't really have the tools to uh, really push into this. Then skipping some things. This whole thing happened, really the beginning of my life in eighth grade when I fell in love with uh, such a beautiful woman. And finally I said, this, this is the reason. She is the reason why I was born. It's this woman. Now, now it makes sense. Now I understand why I came into this world. It was to meet her and to be with her. And at the same time, I decided there is no God because I couldn't believe those nuns who most of them were so miserable and the people who wanted to talk to me about uh, catechism and the most superficial things, as if like, is this, are we talking about real life here? Because what does God have to do with what I really want? You know, it's not hard to memorize what the seven sacraments are. There's only so many classes you can give repeating them before you say, I don't believe you. So in this, in this time then, the problem was, as good as the promise that I met of the goodness of life and the reason that I was born in this woman, it didn't work out. The relationship became old. 
And then I discovered that there's all different kinds of death apart from the old traditional rigor mortis death, the old uh, heartbeat stopping kind of death, that there's a death of the spirits, that there's a kind of death where it says, well, I don't want to live anymore because there is no reason to live because I'm not about to wake up and go to school and, and then work and then have a family or do whatever for the next however many years and then die and there'd be nothing anyway. It's like, what a cheap deal. And then I was so shocked that none of my friends seemed to have had that problem. I remember I went to them. I said, you're okay with getting up and going to school? They said, well, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. I said, do you know what a terrible deal that is? I said, well, it's just... It's what we're supposed to do. And that it took them until 2008, literally until they, after they graduated college and couldn't find a job, that they said, we've been betrayed. They told us if we worked hard and graduated college, we'd have a good job. I said, it took you that long to figure out that you've been lied to? I said, to grow up in America is to be lied to uh, nearly constantly uh, with people hiding the ball about uh, what the actual reason is that we wake up and that we go to uh, school or work or have a family or kids or anything that we do. What's the point of life if life doesn't end in happiness, if life ends in the grave? So it was in that eighth grade year, putting myself, walking home from school, putting myself in front of this dilemma. If I'm right, there is no God, I'll die, and I could die today, and then there's just absolutely nothing. Even I thought, well, my family will be sad, but eventually they'll die too. And since with nothingness includes memory, so then that's not a problem since uh, life is suffering anyway. And then was the first miraculous thing for me was the consideration that somehow through my Catholic school and going to Sunday Mass every week, somehow it was communicating to myself a reason that maybe just if, if Christ did rise from the dead, then me, because I'm baptized, I also can rise from the dead. I'll get a new glorified body, happiness forever with everybody else who has also said yes to this historical fact. And being put in front of the stark options of nothingness or everything, I knew, I said, this is what I want. I want the resurrection. And in that, that hot, bright day in eighth grade walking home, I remember saying, I do not care what I do in life at all, as long as I can be with Christ. This is my, the one thing necessary for me. And then of course, you know, going off and then like trying to live, you know, again in this world where you're constantly being lied to, you go to confirmation class and they want you to you know, color pictures of Jesus. And I say, this is the most non-serious, you know, the Trinity is like warm cherry pie. And I defy you to uh, call into question, this is what we were told about the Trinity. You know, you remember God, the foundation of all of nature and all of reality, warm cherry pie. Because of course, since it's warm, when you cut it into three slices, the gooey cherry filling melts together. One filling, three slices. Once again, I found myself in front of people that I didn't think actually believed. So this is a little bit of a, a make-believe. But still, I was pushing myself in front of uh, life and myself and what I wanted because it was always clear to me that I'm a simple man. There's only one thing that I want, and I want to be happy, and that I need Christ to be happy. 
And I remember walking out of confirmation class one day and thinking, you know what? A woman can't make me happy. I've already experimented with this. And if Christ really is God, the only reasonable thing to do in life is to give everything to him. And then so uh, moving along into college and discovering uh, God's love uh, through friendship in college and discovering, again, this mystery of myself and who am I and what does God want from me and having this overwhelming desire not to be a priest, but to not waste my life. To not waste one moment of my life without actively walking toward my destiny. Because of course my whole thing was that my father got married at 40. I said, my father's no dummy. I said, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait until I'm 40, till I get married, or become a priest, or do whatever, it doesn't matter. So I'm gonna enjoy my life. You know, maybe become a pirate, you know. You know, get like Duolingo for the Somalian language, you know, and join them and fight Captain Phillips, you know, on the high seas. Of course, this dramatic, adventurous uh, sort of life. But instead, instead, with my great desire for my one life, I said, what, what would be the best uh, way to spend my one life? I said, well, but what better way than giving witness to the reason why I can get out of bed in the morning? What's the best? That'd be the best thing to give witness to Christ. And I thought, well, what's the most visible sign of Christ in the world that I know? Well, the priests. I saw that the priests, they wear the collar. At this time, I still didn't think that priests were like real human beings. Uh, it took me a long time to figure that out. But I said, this, this is what I want. And so I entered seminary as the most, the easiest, literally, Without any exaggeration, the easiest decision I've ever made was to go to seminary because it was so clearly what I desired. So people are always, well, how do you know what God wants from you? Well, what do you want? Because God doesn't play tricks with us, I've come to discover, because he gives us uh, desires in order to fulfill them. And when when they're unfulfilled, this is when the work becomes, this is when the real work happens. When we come up against something, we say, Well, have I been betrayed or not? Is reality a lie or not? Or do I just have to, you know, pull the whole, you know, North American positive thinking sort of, well, manage your expectations. In order to be happy, you just can't want so much. It's like my boy Josh couldn't be here today, but, you know, I always use him when I preach because he's sort of the megaphone for the common mentality of our culture. It's just like... Just says everything so clearly. He says, well, it'd be a little, he's like, he's like, Michael, you know, it's a little bit of an exaggerated to desire to live forever. I mean, come on, everybody dies. So just get used to the fact that you're going to die and then enjoy life the best that you can. I thought, oh, the joyful nihilism. I didn't didn't know you could be joyful uh, while staring into the abyss. Of course, in seminary, I started reading Dostoevsky which my father had read in high school. But, you know, they lowered the expectations today. Finally, I read Dostoevsky and I think, here's a friend, here's a friend. Here's somebody living life at the level that I am. Here's somebody who doesn't get up and go to work without any reason. Here's somebody who's really pushing in the relationship with, with reality. And the whole thing of, of me since, since entering seminary is coming to discover how much God just wants to be with you, how much he wants to be your friend. 
how much he wants you to get rid of a, a false way of thinking about reality and about yourself so that you can be happy. Because as I've come to define, to discover, most of my problems come from just a lie, from a wrong way of thinking about myself or of what God expects from me. You know, like, well, I'm unhappy because I'm a, you know, I don't do everything right. Who cares? I mean, parents of children understand this uh, most easily. Parents don't care when their kids uh, act up. They don't think, I no longer want you to be happy. Uh, parents are, are filled with e- even more pity when they look at their children and, and they see them make mistakes. They just love them even more. And since this is the very reality of, of uh, uh, the nature of reality itself, how could that not reflect the very heart of God who reveals his very self in the person of Christ to be a friendship? That God is an eternal friendship. And this is why for me, I can say after 10 years as a priest, you know, we celebrate our anniversaries at the Chrism Mass, which is really the Mass of the Last Supper where Christ instituted the priesthood and uh, with the bishop and all the priests of the diocese and they announced the anniversaries. And I was so happy. I couldn't wait. I'm going to get to this Mass. Everyone's going to applaud for me. 10 years, Father Mike. And I slept through that Mass because well, I stayed up all night playing video games. And then I was so tired that I just slept through it. And the moment I woke up and I thought, huh. And then immediately then I said, but why am I a priest at all? I said, only because of Christ. Only because all I've ever desired is to be with him. And in this way, I can say being a priest is not an essential aspect of my happiness. It's, it's, not, it's not the origin of, of who I am. It's, it's, not, it's not what I love. What I love is to be with Christ and that he's chosen to ask me to be with him in this form and that I discover all kinds of ways that he wakes me up to him, that he even uh, renews the truth of who I am, that this constant fear that everything in life gets old and corrupts and then dies only to remain in this place where Christ wants to be with me and seeing him renew my heart, seeing him renew my desire, and seeing the friendships that, that he's begun in my life to grow and grow and grow so that the goodness of life could spread out more and more and more and so that people would not live in the darkness either of ignorance or simply uh, the, the darkness of not realizing that we don't have to be afraid of the desires of our hearts, that we don't have to be afraid with what we ourselves did not give ourselves Because, of course, the desires we find inside of ourselves, we didn't place there. And we don't easily flick the switch of turning them off, which is the great violence of the culture that we live in that tells you, you were made bad because you want too much. Therefore, shut up and get used to the way life is and that this is what it means to be an adult and that life just sucks. And then maybe at the end, you get some sort of consolation prize if you haven't been a totally terrible person. It's like, this is no life that I want to live. It's not anything I'm interested in. And so we have to remain faithful to the way that Christ uh, comes to us and brings light into our life so that, my friends, we can really say it was good to be born. And the fact that today when I celebrate Mass, at every Mass I celebrate, I think about my sister Carrie Elizabeth. I think about what a great gift she is to me. And I think this is, this is the real life taking everything seriously. And we're not gonna solve all the problems 
And the pain and suffering that we go through is, to me, a wake-up call to continue to push to discover what kind of depths we're able to arrive at as we discover that the friendships that Christ gives us are at the bottom the way that he wants to be friends with us.